0: to the Decoding Story-Based Marketing Podcast, where we help businesses create killer messaging that unlocks their marketing potential. In today's episode, we discuss why villains are so compelling and what they can teach us when communicating about our customers' problem. We're glad you're with us. Well, welcome to the show. I am your host, Bo, joined as always by Decoded Strategies co-founders Annie and Kristen. Welcome. Thanks, Bo. Good to be with y'all. How are you today?
1: Good. Good.
0: Yeah, good. Well, hey, I'm excited for today's conversation because I think it's gonna be a lot of fun as we talk about uh one of the key characters in all storytelling, which is the villain. Mm. Right? Yes. So I'm excited to hear about some of our Favorite villains, the role they play in story and how we can help people think about their messaging in terms of the villain and the problem that they're helping to communicate. So, uh, would love to just maybe hear from you. What are your thoughts on villains? I've kind of led you a little bit with, because I'm very pro them, but (laughs) what are your, what are your thoughts on, on villains?
2: Uh, I'm in the pro-villain camp. I love, love villains. I always think villains are so much more interesting, actually, than the hero of the story. Um, they're, they're the thing that I'm drawn to. And uh, there are a few things in this world that I love more than a badass
1: villain. Yeah. I'm for sure in the pro camp. For sure in the pro camp. So much so that, like, anytime my, my husband and I play a lot of board games play a lot of video games. Anytime that I have the opportunity to kind of align for either good or evil, I always go evil. And it's like a joke. It's like a joke with our friends who are like, oh yeah, Annie's going to be the bad one or whatever. But (laughs) I do, I really, I just, I cherish the opportunity to lean into that role.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Did you play Skyrim?
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Lots of times.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The first time I played it through, I'd spent, I mean, 60 80 100 hours on it and i got to the part of the story where you interact with the vampires and you can Mm. choose to become a vampire or not and i actually didn't want to but i for whatever reason made the choice to become a vampire and it like sets you on this whole different trajectory And i was like I'm now a bad guy when I've been the good guy all of this time. And it had to make a real mental shift for me in the game.
1: This is obviously going way off tangent, but I think it's important. So Skyrim, one of my favorite games of all time. And one of the defining moments in my life that I think allowed me to feel confident and comfortable in loving villains is when a friend of mine also playing. And I said, you know what, Eric, do you ever just like kill random people just to (laughs) see what happens? And he said, oh, I have demolished thousands of people (laughs) and I thought whoa you can do that you can just like go around like without well and it just it completely changed my my whole concept of in fictional scenarios what what it means to like embody a villainous attitude.
0: NPC carnage everywhere. Oh, carnage. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I go straight into the action. I I do.
0: So let me ask very quickly, and then we'll get back to our topic. There's a mission where a dog leads you to a certain thing where you encounter this god. Uh, It's like a statue of a god. And so the dog has led you on this thing. And then the god says, I will give you a very special weapon if you kill this dog right now. Did you kill the dog?
1: No, no, no. I draw a line there. I killed the dog. Oh, You get a super
0: sweet axe. All right. Okay.
1: More about that later. (laughs) Bo's a
0: villain. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> yeah
1: wow. okay We've so on a journey We've yeah on so, a journey
0: so Kristen,
1: yeah
0: talk about villains mm-hmm. who were like think back when did your love for the villain uh begin what's your villain
2: arc story oh i love it Villain Build origin story yes even. Yeah, yeah yeah so uh, this is going to tell you a lot about the kind of movies that uh, our parents let us watch when we were little, because when I was very young, probably about seven or eight, I saw Silence of the Lambs oh. <laughs> and got a load of Hannibal Lecter. And that rocked my freaking world because he was so like elegant and well-spoken and smart and also just like like pretty bad yeah. like we could i think one could argue a bad guy because he you know ate people um <laughs> but there was something about him that just was so like blew my mind so yeah it was it was for sure hannibal lecter that opened up my eyes to like do i love villains i think i love villains yeah so yeah that's that's, that's where i started okay. yes
0: oh how old were you like eight Too damn Too young damn, <laughs> damn, <laughs> Yes, yeah, Hannibal Lecter, just so unbelievably compelling,
2: so compelling. Yeah. Like you can't take your eyes off of no. him. You don't. And every time you're off of the, the screen is not showing him, or you're not with him, you want to get back to yep. him. And that is a sign of a great villain mm-hmm. that you want more of it mm-hmm. instead of I, I don't want to see this guy anymore.
1: Yeah, that I I love Silence of the Lambs. I didn't see it quite that young, <laughs> but I do love it, and I watch it often. And I think that's such a, he's such a great example of a villain in that there is something that is so compelling around. Most good villains are really strong. They do not falter from their path. They are not self-conscious. Like they are really, really strong. And even if you have a different alignment around, you know, I guess how you want to live your life and your personal tenets, like that is really compelling. You don't want to. You don't want to look away from that type of strength. Totally. Wait. Can, can I take a,
2: a, t- and a one more tangent? I know we're both watching the new season of True Detective oh, with Jodie yeah. Foster, and in my mind, that is Clarice after yeah. experiencing some tra- more trauma oh, in her
1: life. Oh, in fact, there are actually there is a fan theory that that, that she is actually Clarice yeah. because there is a moment, this is not a spoiler at all because it's unsubstantiated. There is a moment where someone says quid pro quo <gasps> in 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 the in the in the mm-hmm. series. So mm-hmm. just I think you can confidently <laughs> Continue that. that
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Annie, who are, who's maybe like one of the first villains that really like captivated you?
1: You know, I think it was Maleficent. So I was a big Disney kid. I mean, I grew up that, that, those movies were really important to me. And there was something about Maleficent where, you know, I love Aurora and her songs and like her whole world, but she felt even at that time, two dimensional to me. It, It didn't, I didn't feel like I was seeing somebody that I wanted to be like and maleficent on the flip side of that was so multidimensional and so there was just something about her that even to this day like she is just powerful and strong and beautiful and she has conviction and she doesn't back down you know there's just all of these qualities about her so even as a kid I think mm-hmm. she was the one and she lived in that castle and all the gargoyle it's just the whole thing she was she was she was for me
2: You know, there's an era of Disney villains that I think we probably both love. And that is what you're saying, kind of dawning on why we might love them so much because there was, for a very long time, the way that Disney wrote women was pretty lame and pretty weak and just like not that interesting. However, when they wrote the villains, they were so badass, awesome. They took up space, they were well defined. And so Mike, now my current favorite villain and you haven't asked this yet Bob, but I'm going to answer it. Mm-hmm. Is Ursula. Yes. Um she's it for me. Yeah. And I could talk all day f- about why she's it, but but it's interesting it's in counterbalance to uh characters that are not super well defined or kind of wishy-washy, mm-hmm. kind right. of vague to the crystal clear <laughs> Uh,
1: description of those villains. Yeah. And they are unapologetic. They're going after what they want. They are not the damsels. Okay. Well, this is a whole new <laughs> paradigm around why we do. We love villains. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah that's good. I, I've been really wrestling with who I would like to talk about in this. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I can think about my very first one, but early on, I remember always loving, and again, this speaks to the um, some of the movies maybe that we saw as children, but um, Hans Gruber,
1: Mm. from Die
0: Hard, yeah i've mm-hmm. always just loved him yes. and just the confidence and the he's just sure about what he's doing um yeah i've always just loved
2: yeah i loved almost unapologetic yeah alan rickman
1: oh, in yeah. peace oh, man yeah, i know so good know. Yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah absolutely what is it about a villain that we need in the storytelling process um, not only in film and in music, but as we're starting to transition to think about our marketing and our branding. But what is it about a villain? Why do we need villains in stories?
2: Well, I think that villains, just kind of what we were just talking about with you know the difference between the villain and the hero, but a villain adds dimension mm-hmm. to a story. If it's just a good guy who's just out there trying to do their thing, that's pretty uninteresting um, and can be pretty Vanilla, but when you have a clearly defined villain, it adds that dimension. It adds that interest. The whole story angle, like, it just anchors in that, and it gives us clarity. That's that's the mm-hmm. thing that, and I think storytelling lately has moved sometimes away from that. When you're not totally sure who the villain is, and maybe they're the hero, maybe they're not. And that's less clear. And so I think that we're really drawn towards like, that's the bad guy. We know what to do with that person. So it just gives us that kind of peace of mind. Yeah. Them. I
1: think too. I mean, you know, obviously my mind is going to go into the idea of messaging and marketing, but so often the hero who, if you know us, you know, the hero has got to be your customer they are not always super aware of their problem, the depth of the problem, the consequences of that problem. They don't don't totally have a grasp on, on what's going on. And so if there is a villain that is super clearly defined, it gives you the opportunity to help define that clarity of, hey, there's but there's actually something that you need to position against. There's something you need to turn away from. And without that, it does become a, a little bit of a murky path. Mm-hmm. It's hard to actually name. Hey, am I am I doing the right thing? Am I solving the right problem? What am I, what am I actually doing? So there is something about a villain and a story. And I think even in positioning, that does give you something concrete to turn against. And that's an important moment when you really are guiding customers or guiding people to, to do something.
0: That's great. And you know, in our messaging, sometimes we can tend to shy away from discussing a customer's problem too much. Why Why do you think that is? Why do brands sometimes struggle to articulate or um, lay out for a customer? Here's the problem that we're we're going to solve for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, this comes up all the time. Even brands who have done the work to articulate internally the problem that they are out to solve with their product. We still see these companies shy away from, from talking about that in their marketing. And I think that the primary thing that I hear is, you know, I don't want to be too negative, mm-hmm. that there's always this desire to not be too negative. When we review websites and we look at websites and say, you know what, this website is really missing naming the problem that you solve almost 100% of the time. It's like, well, I just don't want to talk about that because I don't want to be too negative. And I, and I do get that. Like, You don't necessarily want a negative emotion to be attached to your brand But I'm going to say this because this has become one of our absolute favorite lines and big lessons to share. It is only when you name the problem that you solve for your customers that you position your product as a must-have, not a nice-to-have. And that is critical. People don't pay money for nice-to-haves, right? People have to pay money for something that's an absolute necessity. And naming the problem is how you do that.
0: That's great.
2: I think uh, one of the other things that people shy away from when talking about the problem they solve is they assume that the hero knows that their customer knows what the problem is. They're like, well, this is obvious I assume that they know that if they don't have this software they're not going to be able to optimize their financial blah 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 and assume nothing mm-hmm. because customers are really good at ignoring their problems they're really good at thinking of you know thinking about other stuff. So I think shying away from wanting to be too negative and also just assuming that they already know it are two huge mistakes. Um, and very solvable mistakes that, that I see our clients make.
0: Will one of you touch on just the difference between the external problem and the internal problem? Kristen.
2: Okay, okay. So, you know, when we when we talk about uh, defining the problem that is solved for, for our customers, we like to break it down in a couple of different levels. So the external problem is going to be the physical face value problem. So that's like, uh, if we're watching Little Mermaid, Ariel, what does she, you know, she wants, she can't get up and, and get to experience life the way that she wants above the sea. That is her problem. And her internal problem, it, what's really interesting is her internal problem How is how that makes her feel, which is she's feeling frustrated. She's feeling stuck. She's feeling like she can't be free. So we always want to think about, name the external physical face value that our, our customers facing, but also think, how does that make them feel? That wow. is the internal problem. Most brands sell to external problems. People pay money to solve internal problems. Cool. When we're watching Little Mermaid, we're thinking about how is she feeling? Is she going to feel free? Is she going to feel like she can actually live the life that she wants the way that she wants?
0: That's really good. There's a, a leader and a mentor in my life who has a saying where he says, the issue is not the issue the heart is the issue. Mm. So in our life with, with our behavior, right? So I, I have three children and there's, there's behaviors they do that are, that are not good. So at times, not always, but sometimes they do things that, that are against the rules or whatever. And it's important to not just deal with the behavior itself, but because that that's the issue, but really the issue is not the issue. The heart is the issue. So what are you feeling or experiencing that's making you want to lash out at your sibling this way, or feel like you need to lie about this or whatever. And so I think that's an important principle for us to think about for our customers or our clients is they want a better thing, but really it's because they're feeling a certain way about this, right? The issue itself isn't really the issue. The heart is the issue.
2: Yeah, man. If let's say you sell software to employers, that's going to help them better support their customers If, you know, your customers may have that problem where they can't properly support their employees, but if there's no feeling, like if they don't care, if if like that's not a problem for them, if they're not feeling worried about their ability to retain folks or if they're not feeling bad because they're not supporting them. And you don't have a customer. So I think it's really important to communicate that and then to press on that. But it's, it's just almost equally important. You got to name that external problem, but then how are they feeling? Because you can position yourself as when you work with us, you are not going to feel that way anymore. Mm-hmm. That's where people pay money.
0: That's so good. Helping people identify who the real villain is in their story. Mm-hmm. That's good. Kristen, I, I, there's a story I'm remembering. I think it was your kid who was one of your kids in Milo, maybe who was watching, um, Incredibles 2 mm-hmm. and there's a r- switch in a reveal of who you think the villain's one person and the villain ends up being the other one. And wasn't it Milo who said, like, I know that's the villain? And you're like, How'd you know? It's like, oh, because of her hair or something like that? Was that you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he like recognized that this sister was actually the villain long before it was revealed that she was the villain, yes. based, like because he could just see her that hair was
2: a dead giveaway. Yeah. Which was a clean bob. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, and you're like, I have pop. to go to the yeah, yeah, hairdresser
1: you know. right now. <laughs> <Yeah. Okay. laughs>
0: so when it comes to helping our clients and our customers understand their problem, what are we going to miss if we fail to do that for them?
1: Mm. Well, failing to name the problem in your messaging, again, does not establish you as an absolute necessity. And that is something that's so important because we're inundated with There there are more solutions to our problems than ever before right now. And most of us are inundated with sales and marketing content that's just screaming at us, right? And so if you don't become a necessity, if you don't position your product as a necessity, it's just going to get lost in the noise. So that's, I think, one of the most important things. And more and more, I think people have become to some extent numb to their problems. Like Kristen said, humans are just extraordinarily good at ignoring problems. We have problems every single day that we just, we just don't take action to solve. So the only way that you can actually meaningfully start to build a relationship between a brand and a potential consumer is to really name the the problem that you solve. And I think because a lot of people don't recognize the importance of those problems, you also have to illuminate well, what are some of the symptoms that show that you have that problem? So I think there's a lot of educating that needs to happen from a marketing and messaging perspective around illuminating the problem and, and the consequences of that. I get really excited when potential clients come and talk
2: to us and they tell us, we're doing pretty good. We're a $10 million company. And we look at their messaging and see they, don't, they have not talked about the problem at all. Ooh. Because it, what that tells me is you guys are doing pretty good with this. But now it's time to start collecting some of that low-hanging fruit that you were leaving on the tree because you're not talking about the problem that you solve. So I get very, very excited because once you do that, you can unlock massive revenue opportunities. So if you're doing pretty good now, start talking about the problem that you solve and see what happens. Yeah.
1: I think, too, there's this dynamic where if you aren't articulating the problem, you kind of have these engagements with prospects and with leads where they say, oh, yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a cool product. And it ends there. So if you are a business and you are having conversations that kind of end at, oh, yeah, that sounds cool, you haven't hooked them yet. Mm-hmm. You haven't hooked these prospects. You haven't hooked these leads. We talk a lot about even from story frameworks, the problem that your hero is encountering is the hook of the story. Mm-hmm. That's really when movies and books and things get going, right? It's when we see, oh, the hero has a problem. They don't just have like happy-go-lucky life. They have a problem that they are struggling to overcome. And same thing in marketing. When you do that, that's what that's what sets the hook. And If you do it well... Your prospects can't look away, right? You have told them, hey, you have a problem. There are consequences to that problem. If you don't solve it, life's not going to get better. Mm. And if you do that successfully, you literally will have people who cannot look away. And that is just, I think, the absolute golden nugget that every business is looking for. We hear a
2: lot that customers will tell us, it's not that we're losing to a competition. We don't, it's not that that we're losing to inaction. We're losing to people saying, oh, that sounds cool and not taking action. So if anybody here is listening to this podcast and and people are just not taking action, then the area to lean into very clearly is what is the cost of letting this problem go unchecked? What is the Mm -hmm. problem you solve? And if it continues, what's going to happen? And that's going to help kind of shore up that losing to inaction problem.
0: That's great. And when you think about, all of your favorite stories with the great villains. It is the villain who ultimately causes the hero to have to take action, right? That that you can't not respond to to this character, this person, this problem, right?
2: And a lot of times, the hero's life is better because they had to they had to uh, confront this this villain. Mm-hmm. Like usually, they get to go on an arc where they are a better, stronger version of themselves, and they solved a problem that was existing all along. But then they were able to overcome that and become better for it. So there's there is a gift in the villain mm-hmm. and how that can propel the hero onto a journey.
0: That's really good. I'm just thinking about some of my favorite villains and, and the, the arc that the characters went on. I'm um, rereading the stand right now. The stand by Stephen King. It's one okay, of, okay, I mean, okay. it's, it's a top, top five novel of all time for me. The 1990, 1990 miniseries, maybe 92. Uh, mini series was f- just fantastic. Molly Ringwald, Ooh. uh, Gary Sinise. Oh, just, yeah, it's okay. it, it was peak. peak we 90s. also
2: watched that one too, Young Bo. Too
0: young, also. Too yeah,
2: young.
0: <laughs> uh, my youth pastor at church showed me that <laughs> one. Uh, so, but anyways, um, and uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about the the journey that he forces the character. Randall Flag is the name of the big bad character, in, and he ultimately ends the world, um, through a illness and a virus that wipes out 99% of humanity, it takes oh. humanity mm-hmm. back to, I mean, you've, you, they have to start all over again. And so as the characters are going through that journey, they realize we have to take our stand against Randall flag. And and so there's Randall flag is in Las Vegas and city with the bad guys and all the good people are in Colorado Springs or Boulder Boulder, in, Boulder in Colorado. Yeah. Um, and they have to take their stand against Randall flag and just the journey they go on in order to uh, uh, accomplish this. It's just, wow. and randall flag both in the book and certainly in the early miniseries they redid it about uh in 2021 i think they made it before covid Mm. but they held it for a little while
2: (laughs) because because they asked about
0: a virus wiping out humanity so they released it like in 2001 the second edition the randall flag was okay but in the book and in the original He's just one of those villains that you just, like you were saying, you can't look away. Mm-hmm. When he's not on screen, you're like, how much longer till a Randall Flag scene? Because everybody else is great, but I want I want Randall Flag on the, on the screen right
2: now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that just the thing that we love about villains is they're just so freaking defined. Yeah. They know who they are. They're showing up. I mean, that's why I love Ursula. Like, she's not trying to shrink herself. She's there. She's big. She's loud. She's got that incredible hair. She knows what she wants. She takes it. Like, I don't know how you can't not love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the beauty of villains and what that can teach us about the problems that we're articulating for our customers is like, be clear with them. Don't soft pedal it. You don't need to be a fear monger. Of course we don't need to do that, but be clear with it and define the heck out of it. And then it's going to be incredibly compelling and draws in.
0: So let me just ask if I'm a brand right now hearing this, I'm thinking, okay, I do not Define the problem for my customer for whatever reason. I don't want to scare them off. I don't want to seem too negative. I haven't thought through this, whatever it might be. How do you go about discussing the problem for your, in a way that will appeal to and draw your customer in and not scare them off and send them running? Like sometimes we're worried might happen.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there are a few things. The first is, again, clarity, right? Like, you, yes, you are naming a problem. There is going to be some sort of negative connotation to experiencing that problem. But if you are clear, you don't have to go on and on forever, right? This doesn't have to be, if you think about content, paragraphs worth of content. This can be a statement. But in order to nail that conversation, that statement, you just have to be really, really clear. Another component of it is where you place it in your story. So it does not have to be the very first thing that you say necessarily, right? You don't have to say it 5,000 times, but just like an arc of a story, when you watch TV show or read a great book, there is a moment where your hero encounters a problem. And just because they have encountered a problem doesn't mean that the story is a sad story, right? Usually the hero overcomes that problem. They get the support that they need, right? There are successes at the end of that rainbow, but you have to place it in in the right order to make sure that it is landing and hooking someone in before you can then tell the rest of the story. So um, I think, again, both clarity and just where it's placed within the story, those are really powerful levers to pull.
0: How do you know if you're being too heavy handed with your approach to the problem for a customer?
1: Hmm. Well, I think there's one thought that comes to mind, Kristen. I'm curious what you have to say about it. Um I think you always want to make sure as you're naming the problem that you don't communicate in a way that may feel offensive to the people who are experiencing it. So that's something that we always have to be careful about is you obviously want to be clear about what is the problem that your company and your product is out to solve. And we recognize that saying to someone, hey, we know you have problem X, we have to be sensitive about the way that that's going to land. So you don't water it down. You don't make it wishy-washy, but we just want to be thoughtful about How are they experiencing the problem? How how are you holding for this challenge that you're experiencing? And how can I talk about it in a way that's going to resonate most with that?
2: And then I think that's why we believe so strongly in in telling a full story with your messaging, because if all you're talking about is your problem, which is you're never going to grow if you can't optimize your blah, 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 it's just going to be a bummer. So we think it's really important to, one, clearly define it, obviously steer away from anything that's blamey or anything like that. But then pretty quickly, when you talk about the problem, point towards the solution and point towards success. So it's like, yeah, this is the problem. It's real. It's painful. It's going to cost you. But that's why we have a solution for it. And then the other piece is, you know, we're big fans of making sure that you position your customer as the hero and your brand as the guide. So if you are naming the problem, but you're pairing out with some empathy, like, hey, we know how overwhelming it can be to solve this problem. That scoops you out of that and helps you not stay in that bummer zone for too long.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Is that's why it's so important to be able to distinguish between the external and the internal and communicate about the internal eventually, uh, because that helps position you as an empathetic guide who can who can understand what they're feeling and and, and why they're looking for the help that you can provide them.
1: You know, we had a, a, a couple, actually, a couple, probably a couple of clients, and they are businesses that often have a problem that they solve, which is around you know, their customers don't have enough people on a team or expertise. So this is really common in like cybersecurity, for example. You know, cybersecurity teams may not have enough people to keep 24-7, you know, monitoring and detection of events. So a cybersecurity company could solve the problem of not having enough expertise or people on the team. Well, if you go to a business and say, hey, I know you don't have (laughs) an expert team who can keep your company safe, (laughs) <laughs> you're going to turn people off. But being able to name, we know how hard it can be to fully monitor the defense of your company with limited resources and a little mid team. Pulling in the empathy makes all the difference in the world. So again, you just have to be sensitive about the way it's going to land. You don't make it wishy-washy, but we want to be thoughtful about the fact we're talking to humans.
0: That's really good. All right. Any other villains that you guys want to talk? I, I just have loving talking about villains. Anybody else come into mind for you who you just think is a compelling, exciting villain to talk about?
2: Well, yes, but I have an angle on it, okay, which is that's good. I think – I don't know if it, I don't even know if I want to do this, but Game of Thrones, one of my favorite, one of my favorite yeah. series of all time, and one of my favorite shows up until a very specific uh, point. <laughs> and so that's a, I think that that's actually going to be an example where I'm going to talk about not my favorite villain, but where they went bad with the villain, where they took a hero that we can do spoilers right at this point it's been for years. Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah well, right. So. Yeah. Spoiler okay,
1: okay. alert: Game yeah, of they Thrones. They all die. June they now. all. Yeah. Die. <laughs>
2: Everybody's <laughs> miserable and dies cold. So <laughs> that's an example right there of I loved this, every villain in that show. I loved Tywin Lannister. Joffrey was so happy when he had went to his wedding and had his end. Purple wedding. Purple wedding, baby. But the great mistake that they one of the great mistakes that they made in that was what they did with Daenerys. Oh, where they took awful. a hero yeah. and they turned her into a villain way too fast. And so that's like my big beef is like just make sure that your 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 villains are clearly defined and don't let your hero
1: slip into that villain role. That was so sad. It was so sad. And not you're so right, not just because she was such a beloved hero, but it didn't. It didn't make any sense. No. There, there. All yeah, right. Anyway, well, we can go into that forever. That's a great example.
0: I felt that same thing about the opposite with Jamie. Jamie. They oh. they spent the whole show yes. taking the villain into a hero, which worked. Which worked, and then in a thirty second decision, in the, at the end of an episode, he decides he's just going to go back and just th- throw throw, it all throw the entire arc of his show of his character story away in yeah. a in a single decision. Just yeah. Why.
1: Yeah. Stupid.
2: stupid stupid dumb stupid so dumb <laughs> we we, <ate> it. <laughs> we hate it we hate it <laughs> you know what i want to talk about but not today but maybe another day is anti-heroes. What do we do with anti-heroes <laughs> on oh, yeah. this front? I'm, I'm re-watching
0: Sopranos wow. right now. I just watched and-
2: succession. Oh, so. oh gosh.
1: Well
0: I'm also in that. There's we're a we're lot. early. So did you start it? Yeah, like we're like episode three
1: right now. Oh just keep going man. Just oh, keep yeah,
0: going. Yeah. So okay the <laughs> we anti-hero conversation. Yeah the anti-hero stay, stay tuned. Stay, stay tuned, tuned another episode. Yeah. Well we want to encourage you don't be afraid to help your clients identify the villain in their life and remember that you have the means to help them overcome that problem. Thank you for joining us for the Decoding Story-Based Marketing Podcast. If this was helpful, please subscribe and leave us a rating so more people can have this resource. For more information on Decoded Strategies, visit decodedstrategies.com or you can connect with us on LinkedIn and we will talk to you soon.